0: Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living.
1: Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace.
0: until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you roused yourself, you despised them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me... Is my faithful co-host and sidekick Matthew McLaughlin? Hey, Jeremy. I need to think of a wrestling name for you. That'd be cool. That
1: would be a possible
0: <laughs> ability. It would be what? I don't know. Oh, you don't even want to try with your wrestling name? Not right now. No. Okay, I'll have to think. I'll get back to you. But so, anyways, this is Ordinary Fellowship. Uh, we're here to discuss. Uh, Christian doctrine in a practical way, or Christian things, spiritual things for our Christian life. But before we do that, we want to encourage you to like and rate our podcast on whatever podcast service you listen to us on. And if you enjoy an episode, please share it with your friends and your loved ones, and, and maybe even your enemies on Facebook and Twitter. Because we're now on Twitter If you have any questions for us Any bad comments, good comments Matthew will give you the email address And all that stuff at the end If you enjoy it, I'm sure others will enjoy uh, Ordinary Fellowship as well So pass the word along for us, please Today uh, we are going to be discussing Psalm 73 Psalm 73 is what uh, we began with Matthew and I reading Let's dig in Where should we start, Matthew? Probably verse 1. Oh, that's a good idea. Could be. Psalm 73 is really about, the author of this psalm is Asaph, right? Asaph is a Levite musician. The Levites, early on in Israel's history, they were set aside to move the tabernacle when it was a tent, right? Their job was to pack it all up and move it as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, at the time of David, David was going to plan to build a permanent, fixed building for the glory of God. Of course, Solomon was the one who built it. But because the Levites would no longer need to move the tent around from place to place, the Levites were assigned to different positions. And Asaph was assigned a position as chief musician. And so this is his psalm. Matthew Henry, though, seems to think David wrote every one of the psalms and thinks that this is just to the chief musician Asaph. But I don't understand why he always wants David to write everything. But Asaph seems to have gone through some trouble here, some very serious trouble. In verse 3, he says he almost stumbled and his feet nearly slipped. That describes really the precarious situation he was in. And I don't think we've all slipped before where we start to go when we catch ourselves. I don't think that's the kind of slip that Asaph was worried about. Asaph was worried about that kind of slip where you're smashed on the ground holding your hurting parts and you don't even know what happened. Matthew, not Matthew, Jonathan Edwards. He actually quotes from the Psalm Psalm seventy three eighteen uh, in his famous sermon "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." It's actually based on a text in Deuteronomy about your feet slipping. But the picture picture that Jonathan Edwards paints is that the sinner is on the precipice of a cliff. And to slip would mean to slip off the cliff into your eternal destruction. And of course, the only thing holding you back at any moment is the arbitrary and gracious will of God. So this isn't just a slip and catch yourself and think to yourself, whew, I almost fell. This is a much more serious, disastrous fall that Asaph was in danger of and concerned with. Any thoughts about that, Matthew?
1: I mean, you see the juxtaposition between verses 1 and 2, where Asaph makes this generalized statement that God is good to those who are pure of heart, but then when he applies it specifically to himself, he says, but as for me, I'd almost slipped. So it's almost like he has this division in his mind where he generally understands that God is good, but he's not sure if that actually applies to himself. Because and so, and so because of that, back to what you were talking about, he's concerned with slipping and falling and going over the cliff.
0: Right. And of course, verse 3 tells us the cause of that stumbling was that he was envious of the arrogant, and he saw the prosperity of the wicked. So... What he's really wrestling with is the problem of evil. Right. Now, it's his problem is very specific. It's a species of the problem of evil. But it is the problem of evil. In other words, how, if there's a good God, can there be evil in the world? And this is a dilemma that not just Asaph faced, but others in the Scripture, chiefly Job, had to deal with. There are many... There are other psalms, there are many other places in Scripture that deals with this theme of the presence of evil in the world, and it creates a dilemma, and, and that's what he's dealing with, is, is that dilemma. And when I hear that he slipped, it sounds to me like he almost gave up on the goodness of God. Right. That, As we'll see, the, these uh, prosperous wicked seemed to make converts, and, and Asaph, I think, is saying that he was almost one of those converts. Prosperous wicked are described from verses 4 to 15. We don't have time to go through each of those verses, but Asaph seems to think that they don't. these prosperous wicked don't suffer at all. Now, my guess is that Asaph is thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, I would agree. He's not really seeing the reality of what's going on because there's nobody who doesn't suffer in some sense. But on the other hand, I think he's right because people who are wealthy can often transcend a lot of the hardship that other others are facing. For example, I think of Hurricane Katrina, which hit New Orleans, and every time after that, any time the New Orleans Saints played anything, it was about how tough the team was in making making it through this time. I don't know for sure because I've never looked into it, but I really have a hard time believing these multimillionaires suffered all that terribly with what happened to New Orleans as a result of Hurricane Katrina. Now, the team helped the community there's no question about that. But the fact that you're rich usually helps you to elude much of the pain and suffering others are experiencing, and they certainly didn't experience pain and suffering. The people in in the uh, the, the ninth ward, that's what you're thinking about the ninth ward? Yeah, yeah. that's good enough. Um, that's not exactly what I was thinking, but it doesn't matter. So they he certainly did, they certainly didn't experience the kind of suffering that those folks did, and those folks probably would be like ASAF looking at these multi millionaire football players and hearing oh how terrible they had it and go, Yeah, right. <laughs> we had it much worse. We don't a lot of them don't even live in New Orleans anymore because they were forced out. My point is I, I don't know that Asaph really perceived reality. He's looking at it through his pain and suffering no doubt and not getting a clear picture. And this is why he's losing sight of the goodness of God, and nearly slipped. Anything you want to say and highlights from this from this passage? Well, I is think what I'm just
1: just to reiterate your point, if you look at the pronouns, he's the so that this section of pronouns. He started talking about me, and then he gets to four through fifteen, where he's talking about the wicked, and it's always they, and it's almost as if he. Like you said, the, he sees them as the grass is greener, so he puts them on this pedestal. And so he magnifies how good they have it in comparison to what he looks at his life and how, in his mind, how bad he has it. It's almost like he he can't see the bad in theirs and he doesn't see the good in his.
0: And he doesn't even ever say what's wrong with him. Right. <laughs> so we don't even know what his affliction was. But he was obviously suffering greatly and and... To add to that suffering, he saw he, a righteous man, a Levite, a man of God, suffering while these wicked, prosperous people seemed to suffer no harm. They were all healthy and all, all all these kind of things. A few things that I'd just like to point out from this. In verse 9, it says, They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues stretched through the earth. The idea is, when they... Set their mouths against heaven; they're defying heaven. They're speaking against God, and their tongue struts around the earth. Seems to be that their speech is spreading everywhere, and that it's receiving ready hears, ready to glom on to this idea. Verse ten. In all, all the translations of the Bible and the commentaries say that the Hebrew is unclear here, but from the best that the experts can put together. The idea is that that people are turning to these prosperous, wicked men and and drinking in. The ESV says find no fault in them, but there's a, another reading that says the waters of the full cup are drained by them. So it so- sounds like they're drinking in whatever they're saying. And these people are... Fi- or you could read it the other way. These These wicked... Prosperous wicked people are speaking against heaven. Their influence is wide. People find no problem with it. This sounds like today. Now, verses eleven through 15, uh, eleven through fourteen. There's actually disagreement about whether this is Asaph himself speaking or the converts of the prosperous wicked. From my understanding, I think it's the, I think it's the converts of the wicked people here speaking. Until. Uh, until verse 14. So they're the ones in verse 11 who are questioning, does God even know what's going on? Does God? And the reason they're saying, saying that is because God is good, right? If these men were evil, why is God allowing them to prosper? If God knew what was going on, he would come and do something about it right now. And he's not doing anything about it. So they end up questioning God's knowledge God must not even see, God must not even know what's going on. They, they even say in verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. They're, they're arguing that the religion was in vain, that it didn't benefit them to be religious. They were no better off. In fact, they were worse off because all day long, verse 14, all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. So their religion was no, not a way out of the suffering that they were experiencing. So that now these folks are following the wicked people. And Asaph, I think, speaks in verse 15. And he says, If I had said I will speak thus, I would be betray the generation of your children. I think this is where we see Asaph says, he almost stumbled. and his steps had nearly slipped because he's not slipping here. He realizes the danger of saying and doing some of the things that these prosperous, wicked people are, and he's he's res- being restrained, of course by God. It, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, but he's being restrained here. so I talked a lot Matthew yeah. it's your church. so
1: I think that's a good exposition of the text. But now let's just take a minute and think. Like Jeremy kind of said it in a, in a one little comment. But you stop and you put this into where we're at today, and it you see the rise of secularism and humanism and agnostics and atheists, and it seems like the culture is being driven towards their wants and their desires, and and nothing knows no recourse, and they seem to accrue any number of benefit and gain and in that context when you put it in our context the question then becomes well then how do we respond how do do we do we truly believe that god is good or do we are we like asaph and are our feet threatening to slip because we speak even like do we think like these converts when you get to verse 13, that we think, well, we've kept our hearts clean in vain, we've washed our hands in innocence, so we we try, and what's the point in being holy? Because we've forgotten that the holiness, accruing holiness for us is paid through affliction, because it goes back to sanctification, that I have to have the, the dross, the sin, burned out of me. It's not just, I can't just make it magically disappear. And so because of that, I don't want to go through that, because what's the point I gain. I don't see any reward in the here and now. So you, right. you can also tie this into, this, this also ties into the majority of Solomon's argument in Ecclesiastes. Everything under the sun is vanity. So we, we constantly are bombarded with this idea, back to what Jeremy talked about, that on the surface here and now, if, if we ignore, since we haven't got to the second half of the psalm, if we just look at earth without any eternal thoughts, the question that has to come through our mind is, what's the point and why do we bother? It seems like evil's is winning. Shouldn't I just give in and just accept it? And that's the way that life is supposed to work. Why do I work for anything else? But the psalm doesn't end
0: here. Right. Unfortunately for Asaph, he didn't. He didn't have the prosperity gospel, right? So he could have been religious and prosperous if he had just had Kenneth Copeland there to guide him along the way. I say that unfortunately, tongue in cheek, of course, right?
1: But you're right. That's another piece. Another piece in this is that you have not just the agnostic idea, but you also have the prosperity gospel and the health and wealth that does the the exact same thing because as we've talked about many times before, there's many religions that have this idea that somehow that there's a one for one trade off. If I do this, then God's going to bless me. And then somehow God's blessing is a trial and we don't like that. And we go, what's the point, but (laughs) that's a whole nother conversation, but you're right. That's another application for us to think, make sure we think through as we think through the first half.
0: So that, the transition is in verse 16 to 17, and this, this passage is really what drew my attention to Psalm 73 in the first place. When he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. So Asaph took a tri- trip to the temple, and that changed everything for him. It, it's what he saw there, what he learned there at the temple that changed his whole outlook. And so that at the beginning of the psalm, he could say, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I have a lot to say about this, but we don't have a lot of time. So I'm preaching on it this week when we're recording it, but it's actually already been done by the time you hear this. So if you want to hear more exposition on that, then you can listen to the sermon uh, on Sermon Audio at, from Two Rivers. And uh, I'll try to remember to share that on Ordinary Fellowship's Facebook page. So, But this is really the transition, the trip to the sanctuary. And he says the reason is he discerned therein. He, he discerned the end of the wicked. And St. Augustine, I think it was, says the end times. So he, he knew how eschatologically... This was going to work out for the prosperous wicked, and it's not pretty. We, we see in verses 18 through 20, the end of the wicked. It says, Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. So they're in a precarious position, they're on slippery places, so they're, they're sec- their wealth and security they, they look really secure because of their wealth, but actually they're not. They're in slippery places. They could fall at any moment. And again, it's not just a fall, a slip, and whoa, I caught myself. But it's one of those terrible falls that you're picking yourself up off the ground before you even realize what happened to you. Okay, They're, they're on the precipice of a cliff. Ready to slip off into their eternal destruction. That's the actual position they are in. So his his uh, dark his rosy colored glasses. The green eyed monster is now coming off, <laughs> and he's seeing the wicked for what's really happening. He says they fall to ruin. So they're going to be ruined. In verse nineteen, they're set. They're destroyed. Swept away utterly by terrors. Now, this could happen temporally in the here and now, certainly. And it's often happened where God judges wicked sinners in the here and now. But I think because Asaph says, I discern their end, I think it's further than that. Asaph is thinking about their eternal ruin, their eternal destruction. Their eternal being swept away by terrors. He's thinking about their eternal suffering in hell because of their wickedness. That's what he's seeing here. Not not just that, that they could face a disastrous situation in the here and now and lose it all. They could face that, but even if they don't face that, they're going to face eternal ruin that will destroy them forever. They will lose absolutely everything, including their own soul. Do you have anything to say about that?
1: Well, I was just saying, just as you think about it, you see, occasionally you you see an obituary or you see a funeral and you'll see this person who decides that, you know, they want to be buried in their Corvette or they they want to, they end up killing their pet and having it stuffed and being buried with it because that's where they that's all their value but they can't take it with them. It the car goes into the ground, it rusts, the 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 dog is dead. And so you see this and you also see this idea that when those many reports that people who are rich or who have these things, they're always afraid that they're going to lose it at any moment. <laughs> and so there is a sense in which God is judging the wicked by giving them what they think they want. And we have to remember that as well. And so you see this idea that Asaph finally realizes, as Jeremy said, he finally realizes that maybe life isn't as good for them as he thought thought it was because he understood it because he got a glimpse of the eternal. And now that glimpse of the eternal affects not only them, but now it's going to affect his outlook as we come to the last few verses
0: All right verses 20 tw- 21 and 22 asaph recognizes his foolishness and how he and how he was acting previously uh, that he was brutish and ignorant like a beast towards god he's not complimenting himself there <laughs> he's like an animal he was uh, he was so terrible um so in a way, this is his his coming his coming to repentance and um, turning from that. But then he goes on after he talks about the end of the wicked to talk about the end of the righteous um, in verses twenty three uh, through twenty six, and really, in a sense, through the rest of the chapter. In verse twenty three, in the beginning of verse twenty four. This is the Christian life. So what he's saying, really, in a nutshell, is God is with us. God is with me. He's holding my right hand. That's really important because this whole psalm is talking about slipping. But he's holding, God is holding his right hand as a way to keep him from falling. So the reason why in verse 15 he was restrained is because God's holding his hand. God's not going to let him slip. Now, it's important that it's God doing this as well because if another human being were to try to hold you up when you're slipping, that person could fall and then you would fall. You could both fall at the same time. But as the psalmist psalms often claim, God is a rock. He's immovable. And that rock is holding his right hand and guiding him with his counsel. So God... God is with us now in this life even in the midst of our affliction God is with us he's He's with us holding our right hand and counseling us through it all with his word and spirit as Matthew Henry says right. so God, God is with us even in the affliction and I think this is the key that he learned at the temple that of God's presence with him which means God is far from the wicked. And that's why he discerned their end was to be eternal separation from God forever, their eternal destruction. But he sees that God is present with him to help him and walk with him through this life so he doesn't slip. But not only that, he sees his end because he says, afterward, you'll receive me to glory. And then even in verse 26 he says my flesh and my heart may fail this may be metaphorical meaning he may lose hope it could be but it also could be literal that his body could die and his heart stop beating mm-hmm. but god is the strength of my heart my portion forever that word forever is important because what he's admitting there is that even if your heart fails God is still going to be your portion or your lot in life. So God, one of the things he's realizing is God is his lot in life is to have God. The lot of the wicked is to have many things, but they both have two different ends. The wicked had their lot in life was prosperity, but in the end, it's destruction. His lot in life was to have affliction, but in the end, he gets God and eternal life with God forever. He's the winner in this scheme. And because he took this trip to the temple, he's, he's seeing this and understanding it. And that's why in verse 25 he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. At this point, he's seeing, he sees the value of being holy. He sees the value of having God even if he has nothing on earth. The value of God, having God as his portion is superior to anything anybody could offer him in heaven or on earth.
1: Yeah, so you get
0: to verse 26,
1: you even have you can even make this analogy that so flesh is the outer man, heart is the inner man that the your core being, even if both of those want to give up and quit and just slip, in reality, back to what Jeremy said, because God is holding upholding him by His right hand, then therefore God is His strength, and literally that word strength you can translate it as rock. Mm-hmm. So it's it's solid, it's secure, it's not going anywhere, it's it's permanent, and so He will always be there. He's always providing.
0: He's your forever rock.
1: Right. And so it doesn't matter if I want to give up and quit, I because ultimately I have God, so I have everything that I need, which leads to the last the last verse. And this idea that Aesop finally realizes that it's good for him to be near God. He understands that the ultimately the greatest gift God has given is not all the riches, not all the things that the wicked has. It's as Jeremy said, it's his presence. That's the gift that Asaph has that makes his end better than like the accumulation of all of the stuff and all the things he was envious about in the first half of the of the psalm.
0: Right. And verses 27 and 28, I used the opposites far. So it says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. And then verse 28, But for me it's good to be near to God to be far from God means that you you've gone astray you don't have a relationship with him to be near to God Israel was near to God the nations were far away even if they were immediately surrounding you know they were still far away from God but Israel was near to God and those who believe in Jesus Christ and trust him as Lord and Savior are then near to God and have all these comforts and blessings that Asaph has described in this psalm. One of the things that we learn in scripture, especially in Ephesians, is that Jesus came and he became far from God, so that he could bring those far from God, near to God, if you put your faith in him. So this end of the wicked doesn't have to be your end, because God has made provision in Christ to bring wicked sinners near to him, but the pathway is through Christ and only through Christ alone. Right. That is why it's
1: so valuable to, as we kind of wrap this up, to understand back to verses um, 16 and 17, why it's so important for us in our vernacular, why it's important for us to gather with believers. Right. because when we when because and too, as we've talked about many times before and we'll talk about many times after to avail ourselves of the ordinary means of grace to spend time in scripture and prayer to spend time in God's presence with the what God has provided both with his word with his spirit and with his saints because that av- allows us to not become overwhelmed by the that which would seek to cause us to want to slip so our our encouragement to you today is Acknowledge God's presence by spending time in his word and then gather with the assembly of believers that God has called you to so that you too might declare, as Asaph says, that you may tell of all the wondrous works of God because you know and recognize that he is your refuge. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mare at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you're listening to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living. Thank